from KVMR Nevada City and in partnership with Freed, welcome to Disability Wrap. I'm Anna Acton with my co-host, Carl Sigmund. On today's show, we look at the movement here in California to grant people with significant disabilities priority to access the COVID-19 vaccine. Studies show that people with certain physical or developmental disabilities are up to three times more likely to die from COVID-19 as compared to the general population. And yet, and yet, it wasn't until February 12th that that Governor Newsom announced that people with significant disabilities and people who have underlying health conditions will be eligible to receive the vaccine in California. And this eligibility isn't even effective until March 15th. The announcement was made. Only after massive outcry. And a massive mobilization campaign. By people with disabilities in the state. So today we're joined by two leaders of that campaign. Brandy Senziak is the supervising attorney at Independent Living Resource Center San Francisco and is one of the key forces behind the hashtag No Body is Disposable movement, which she will tell us about today. Brandy supervises ILRCSF's legal services program, which offers representation for individuals with disabilities between the ages of 18 and 59 who reside in San Francisco. Welcome to the show, Brandy. Thank you. Aaron Carruthers is also with us. Aaron is the executive director of the California State Council on Developmental Disabilities. SCDD was created by Congress to find and remove barriers that keep people with disabilities from living as fully integrated members of the community. 
Aaron has been working on policy in the state government for over two decades in the Assembly, the State Senate, and for two administrations. The State Council on Developmental Disability has been working closely with Disability Rights California and Disability Voices United, as well as the California Foundation for Independent Living Centers to mobilize the community around the vaccine access issues. It's great to have you join on Disability Wrap on the side of our victory. Welcome, Aaron. Anna, Carl, thank you so much for the invitation to be here and to join you. I'm just thrilled to be here today and to be joined uh, with Brandy. Uh, just had excellent collaboration and leadership through this effort, and it's nice to come and talk to you about that effort, um, but also whatever's on your mind. There's a lot more to do. So let us get, I'm going to get us started here. I just want to start by saying uh, this has been a long road, and I just want to also acknowledge that we're just about one year, right, post-pandemic. Uh, um, it's been a really hard, long year for um, all of us here on the radio show and the communities that we serve, um, our stakeholders, our family even. Um, and so I think we just need to acknowledge that we're one year in and we're, it's, it's been a long road. Um, Aaron, over this last year, I have seen you um, at the front lines, frankly, around COVID-19 issues um, in general, and especially for those with disabilities, and in particular, those with developmental disabilities. Talk to us a little bit about the work that you've done over this year on COVID-19 in general around um, the impact to individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And I really like how you started off by marking that we're one year in because it's almost like we just need to take a moment to uh, to pause, to to grieve and to celebrate. Um, grieve all that we've lost and even those who've lost people during this pandemic, um, but to celebrate uh, uh, surviving and living and continuing on um, despite what's happening. So um, thank you for opening us up, opening up this conversation that way because we are at a, at a an important movement in this uh, this pandemic. The state council, we went into action almost immediately and you know, we're uniquely structured where we are a California state department. So we have one foot in the administration, but we're not formally part of the administration. We're not under any department or agency. Uh, we have statutory authority to, um, to inform, to advocate, which gives us an independence. Uh, so uh, we also have the, our other foot is in the advocacy world. Um, we immediately in March began producing plain language information about um, COVID. What does it mean? Um, we realized um, there was no plain language information um, and uh, there was no plain language information in Spanish. So we produced those first. Um, we realized people don't always read, their, their preferred learning method is not reading. Um, so we produced videos of our council members who are people with intellectual and developmental disabilities talking about COVID in English. And then uh, for our Spanish speaking council members producing one uh, in Spanish. Uh, we had a pretty early list of advocacy and needs um, and it's just been a process over the last year of, of whittling away, whittling away. One of the first ones was the state needed a statement, um, a restatement, reissue the statement of non-discrimination in uh, COVID care. The, the, the administration um, produced that, um, and then it was up to good advocates and lawyers um, like Brandy to make sure it was enforced, um, and that what was produced was produced um, in the broadest protections. 
Um, we also, speaking of protections, knew immediately people needed PPE and advocated for uh, how do we get it? Where is it? And once the state supplies of PPE came in, we had the opportunity to um, get some and get it out to you. And we did that with full force. So the state council, I'm in our Sacramento office, um, but we have 12 regional offices with reach out into the community and um, including in Nevada City. And uh, each of those regional offices went throughout the, their networks to find out who needs PPE and how can we get it to you. Um, the first order we placed was for 2 million pieces of PPE. Um, and I was pretty darn astounded by it, especially when pallets started showing up. I should show you the picture of what 250,000 face masks looks like. Um, Cause it's, it's giant trucks on those wooden pallets with giant boxes all wrapped up in the saran wrap and we were loading them. Um, and after that pretty physical hard work that was, was over weekend and uh, uh, we had the opportunity to order some more. I reached out to our regional offices and said, okay, we, you worked hard, do you want some more? Uh, they assessed what they can get back out and placed another order for about 5 million pieces. I was just blown away. Um, that kept going on as the state kept getting resources. We, in, uh, PPE coming in and they kept making it available to us and we kept working through um, as many community partners as we could find. Um, the ILCs were also, independent living centers were also doing their version of it. Uh, regional centers were doing their version. Um, in the end, uh, um, we ended up, we're at 105.5 million pieces of PPE uh, that we've gotten out to the community. Uh, that's people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. It's their family members, it's, it's caregivers, um, it's the broader um, community of people with, develop, uh, uh, with disabilities, not just limited to developmental disabilities. Um, and we're, we're, we're still going because the need is still there. Um, in addition to that, there was a lot of activity around uh, vaccine and vaccine advocacy. I was uh, named by the administration to the State Department Public Health um, Community Vaccine Advisory Committee I'm proud to be on there. Uh, there's 70 members who are advising the state on vaccines and vaccine rollout. Five of them are uh, disability advocates. So the State Council on Developmental Disabilities, uh, California Federation of Independent Living Centers, Disability Rights California, Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund, and Justice and Aging are uh, the five disability advocates on there. Um, we have just been a united force every step of the way um, and, and our work continues. So. Um, uh, Anna, you asked, that was a big long answer, but we've been doing a lot, so I'll pause there. Well, thank you very much, Aaron. And you know, your team has been on the ground helping to support uh, individuals with disabilities, uh, um, their caregivers and family members. Um, I wanna give a shout out to Sonia Bingaman, uh, who has been such an amazing community partner from the state council. Uh, so thank you. And I want to ask a similar question to Brandy. Brandy, we are coming up on almost our one-year anniversary from the uh, shelter-in-place orders uh, due to the pandemic. You know, talk to us a little bit about what you and your organization have been experiencing over this last year. Yeah, thank you. Um, and thank you, Erin, for all the amazing work that you've done so far. Um, so I guess I want to talk to you first a little bit about um, nobody is disposable. Um, the phrase and the concept nobody is disposable actually originated out of um, disability justice and Patty Byrne and Stacy Park um, originated the concept. 
um, they did a film series around the concept. And since then, the concept has been, you know, continuing um, to get support and um, has been involved in a lot of actions, um, including the uh, PG&E shutoffs um, a couple years back. And so basically when um, we started to hear about all of um, the discriminatory care rationing policies in other countries and in California, um, we, you know, thought we, we need to do something. And so we uh, came up with the hashtag, um, nobody is disposable and formed a coalition. Um, our goal, you know, was to advocate for um, fat people um, and disabled people and um, older people. And so, um, you know, we wanted to make sure as, that fat people, disabled people, older people weren't going to be discriminated against um, if they were to get COVID. We have our website, which is nobodyisdisposable.org. Uh, you can go there and see information. Uh, and so then as the vaccine started coming out and the state created a vaccine priority list, uh, we realized that people with disabilities were in category 1C, which was not acceptable. Uh, you know, we understood we support healthcare workers and frontline workers and people at high risk to be in category 1A, but also, you know, there were there were a lot of other people in category 1A um, and, you know, fitness people or uh, veterinarians. And we, you know, we love our animals, uh, but we also believe that people with disabilities, people, fat people, people that are at high risk, people that have been delaying medical care for almost a year now also should be vaccinated and given priority now, not, you know, in category 1C. And then uh, the federal government came up with, uh, you know, uh, issued guidance stating that people over 65 should be vaccinated immediately, as well as people uh, with medical conditions that put them at higher risk of serious complications should they get COVID. Uh, and when the, st the state of California had literally two days before that added veterinarians to the list in category 1A, and then only decided to take half of that guidance and only decided to include people 65 and over, and then said after that, they would be moving to an age-based system. Uh, and this was definitely unacceptable. This was making it so that people with disabilities, people with medical conditions uh, who would be at serious complications should they, or could have serious complications should they get COVID and people that had been putting off important medical care and staying home for more than a year and not being, you know, tested for cancer or getting physical therapy that they've needed or, um, you know, just going to the doctor for medical, you know, serious medical conditions because they were afraid of um, serious complications from COVID, um, those people like needed to be vaccinated. So Nobody is Disposable started a um, campaign and we uh, did a survey uh, where we collected over 500 stories of individuals that have been putting off 
necessary medical care for more than a year because they're afraid of serious complications if they get COVID. And so uh, we collected these stories and then we started sending them uh, to the working group and, you know, sharing the stories with the working group and explaining why it's so important uh, that people with disabilities, fat people, people with medical conditions uh, are able to be vaccinated. And, you know, we we did see um, on February 12th, um, the governor issued the guidance and we, I wanna say I'm, I'm cautiously, I guess I'm, I'm a little happy. I'm happy that some people are included, but I'm very cautious to say that because, you know, I don't see it as a, I see it as a step forward. I don't see it as a, a huge win. I don't see it as thinking, you know, the, the policymakers for this because they didn't even include the full CDC list. Thank you, Brandy. Thank you, Brandy. Like you say, like you say the, fight the fight is not over. But it is indisputable this was a major win for but it is indisputable that this was a major win for our community. And from my seat here at Freed. Being on a lot of these statewide calls. The governor's announcement only came because of our organizing. Because of the massive pressure. And I'm wondering if each of you can answer briefly. If there was one take a break from this if there was one takeaway from this organizing effort, then you will take into your next that you will take with you into your next campaign. What is what is it? Um begin with Brandy. And I'll begin with Brandy. My takeaway would be it's been it's been really great to see the overlaps and the organizing between all of these communities and these groups, uh, the disability community, the fat community, 
uh, the aging community all working together, it's it's been really great. And I, I think that we're stronger working together. A great question, Carl. Uh, this is Aaron. And um, the one takeaway is that each of us lean into our role. So we have different positions. We have different views on the issue. And if we're all leaning into our role and, and leveraging what it is that we do best, um, then we're most effective in that adage of many hands towards one lift. I want to just step back for one moment and frame uh, the issue a little bit. So why are people with disabilities at higher risk for COVID-19 complications? We know older adults are about 10.5% of the COVID-19 cases in California, but represent almost 74% of the California COVID-19 deaths. We know those people in congregate settings like nursing homes, which are people of all ages, by the way, right? Are disproportionately dying from COVID-19. Those congregate settings, right? Are where we're seeing the spread and death rates soar. I can look at just Nevada County alone for those that have contracted COVID within nursing homes. We have a 20%, 21% death rate. Um, talk to us, Aaron, about developmental disabilities, intellectual disabilities. Um, how is that group, regardless of age, being disproportionately impacted? The reason this is so deadly is because it's a respiratory illness at its core. It's a, it's a virus that attacks the respiratory system. And respiratory illnesses were the leading cause of death among people with Down syndrome, among people with cerebral palsy um, before COVID. Uh, you know, according to a 2017 study that looks at what causes it, um, that's what we know that we have to be worried of and to watch for. Um, so when a virus comes along that attacks the respiratory system, you know, um, uh, people um, protected themselves. They, they were telling people to quarantine. Don't worry. You don't have to tell us. We knew it. Um, we were doing it anyway. Um, same with family members. You know, we, we know people who haven't left the house in a year because just the exposure is too great of a risk from something that was already the leading cause of death. I want to zoom out. I want to zoom out a minute. And add you and ask you both about messaging and values. What What message does it send? Get all government just not without you. That our government does not value our lives. I'll just put it directly. What message does that send? What and what ripple effect does that have on other aspects of our lives? Carl, it's a, it's an interesting message of whether or not, um, what's the statement of value on our lives? 
Um, you know, as, as Brandy's tagline says, no body is disposable. Um, Carl, you said that you felt the state's announcement was a win. And, um, you know, Brandy and I may disagree or see it a little bit differently, but I don't want to speak for her. But, um, you know, I, I see what was announced as a win, too. It could have been better, uh, but I think it's the most forward-thinking, inclusive um, policy that uh, out of any state. Um, if you look at what other states are doing, California kind of took the best and combined them together and actually came up with something new. Um, they modified the CDC list, but they didn't stop there. Uh, they, they came up with a description of conditions and impact that allows healthcare providers and and service programs to, to give some broad implementation, broad interpretation um, for, for impact. So I see it, it is inclusive, but that inclusion depends upon implementation. Now, whether or not it's a statement on the, our lives as values, think of it this way. They, they walk themselves back out of their approach of coming up with lists and orders and priorities and went into healthcare impact and health impact and I think they may be staying there. So there's a lot of groups that would love to have what we have. So I think in, I think there's a statement of priority on our lives um, and our bodies. I really feel like it boils down to an equity issue, right? Um, are we valued? Are we collecting the data? If we are, are we using it to really understand who's impacted? Yeah, and Anna, that's such a good point. And let's let's build on to that. So, um, you know, we can see the statewide data to see that um, uh, African American Californians are um, receiving the vaccine at less than half the rate of their population um, within the state. So, proportionally, less than half. Same thing with the Latinx Latino Californians, um, less than 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 half of their proportional representation in the state receiving the vaccine. So um, you think you ha we have to think about equity through a racial um, justice lens. We have to think about equity through um, an abilities lens. Um, and and I, 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 I'm waiting, Who, who's the scientist, who's the mathematicians, who's actually gonna look at the impact of intersectionality. So if I am, you know, African-American female um, in my fifties with cerebral palsy, what, what is my risk factor then? Um, and how are we making sure they're getting served? Thank you. And Brandy, would you like to add anything to this conversation? I just want to add that, you know, I really think that by the by the state not originally prioritizing uh, people with conditions and disabled people and older people, that it really showed um, sort of what people that people thought people with disabilities um, are and, and fat people and older people are less valuable and disposable, um, which is sort of what our whole message is that nobody is disposable. Thank you both. Erin, as we wrap up, where can people go to get more information on access to the vaccine? MyTurn.ca.gov, that website, MyTurn.ca.gov is going to be the umbrella overarching um, portal to uh, vaccine access wherever you are in the state. So while we started off as a very uh, county-based, uh, county-by-county approach, um, all of those different efforts are going to be brought into one umbrella. So whether it's going to be your healthcare has resources, or Kaiser has resources, or the pharmacy has resources, um, or uh, FEMA is bringing in resources, it's still the one portal. 
And I'd like to just remind listeners that, uh, as Aaron mentioned, My Turn is a website that you can go to sign up. It's myturn.ca.gov. Also, the local county uh, public health department websites have information for your local community on their vaccines and where they are with moving through the tier priorities for who gets a vaccine. Also, if you have a 211 in your local community, uh, it's a great place to sign up for text on vaccines or to call and get additional information on how to sign up. I also want to remind listeners that if you run into any disability accessibility issues to get a vaccine, uh, you can reach out to your local independent living center, such as Freed, uh, to get information um, and get help with uh, ensuring you have access. We want to thank our guest, Erin Carruthers, Executive Director of the California State Council on Developmental Disabilities, and Brandy Sinziak, the Supervising Attorney at Independent Living Resource Center San Francisco and leader of the hashtag NobodyIsDisposable movement. Their website is nobodyisdisposable.org. This show is produced and edited by Carl Sigmund. Special thanks to Sam Curtis for her support. To listen to the show again, go to free.org slash disability rap or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Anna Acton with Carl Sigmund for another edition of Disability Rap.